Hello, I'm Seth, and I've seen Once Once. And I'm Bob, and I've seen Once Twice. Welcome to Not Even Once. A podcast where Seth and I recount every episode of Once Upon a Time to share with you. Last time on Once Upon a Time, we had the episode True North. It was a story of Hansel and Gretel being used by Regina in order to steal the apple from the Candy Witch slash Pale Man stand-in, filling another <laughs> piece of the Snow White backstory. Right. The story plot line had Emma reunite Hansel and Gretel's modern counterparts, Ava and Nicholas, with their father. Their separation was the happy ending that Regina stole from them. The episode ends when a mysterious stranger comes to Storybrooke on a motorcycle. This episode is episode 10, 7.15 a.m., which last episode... You, you had asked, no idea. You asked for predictions based on that title, and I was, frankly, salty. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, I, I would just went through and did some editing stuff on The Shepherd. Shepherd. And in that one, you were like, oh, well, look, there's like nothing in here. And then we get to 7.15 a.m., which is even more cryptic and like less obvious as to... What is going on? Looking at the episode title post episode, I like it. Yes, yeah, it, it's well, and also that's that's the thing. It's like when these were airing live, like I didn't really pay too much attention to what the next episode title was called. Yeah, I still think it's very fun to go through on the show, but like I wasn't super like, oh, what is the meaning of this? I mean, given how much uh, nonverbal storytelling there is, mm -hmm. it actually is a good thing to go through. So I'm really glad we are. Yeah. Oh, I'm 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 fully on board. I love it. Like, especially because I am absolutely keeping track of every guess you make, and we will be going over them later. I look forward to that because I have 100% forgotten some of them. Uh, specifically, one of the characters we get to learn a little more about in this episode, uh, you thought was Quasimodo. I don't remember. You, it was uh, when he's ringing the bell when the curse is coming in, and you're like, "Oh, he's ringing a bell." Obviously, that's Quasimodo, oh. which like is a good guess. <laughs> I just, I was Who just going else rings bells. I was just going through it the other day, and I was like, "Oh, that's gonna be fun. <laughs> that that's gonna be fun." Uh, but yeah, no, this I I really liked this one. Uh, so before we get into it. It was directed by Ralph Hemaker, and he is the director who's credited with the most episodes of Once Upon a Time out of all the directors that were on the show. 30. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That He has directed over a full season of this show uh, worth of episodes. Um, and gi given that like most of the seasons are 22 episodes, it's a lot of... like he's He's been with the show a lot, which is really cool. Um, he also worked on shows like The X-Files, Witchblade, Numbers, V, The Vampire Diaries, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and our favorite propaganda show, sarcasm, Blue Bloods. And the, the story of this episode, this is actually the first time that this has happened. The story was written by the, the showrunners, Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, but the teleplay was written by a different writer. I see. So, like, the difference between storyboarding and scripting. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Similar to that. Gotcha. Uh, and that was uh, Daniel T. Thompson. Uh, he worked on the Sarah Connor Chronicles, Westworld, and most recently, The Legend of Vox Machina, which is based on Critical Role. I've heard good things about that. I have as well. I know um, my friend Santana is, like, super, super, super into Critical Role. I have not gotten into it because it's a lot of stuff. I love D&D. It's a lot, but I've heard the animated show is really cool. So I send you a bunch of D&D uh, &D TikToks just because eh, it's cute to me, but it probably means more to you. Yeah. No, it's like, I love Dimension 20. 
but that's edited a little more than Critical Role. I just don't have the free time. But the cartoon, i definitely been meaning to watch. Daniel T. Thompson also wrote a canon graphic novel tie-in for Once Upon a Time uh, about the evil queen and the huntsman after she stole his heart in Fairytale Land. Huh. Uh, I'm not going to cover that, at least right now, because there are spoilers for things that happen later in the season, because it came out during season two of the show. Okay. So it like takes place in a chronological spot that we have been past already, but reveals of other characters and stuff are in there. So I'm not gonna, I like read the synopsis. I tried to find it and I had a really hard time finding it because it does sound really interesting. Cause like, I mean, spoiler alert, at, at least from my memory, we don't see the huntsman really ever again. I think he's mentioned obviously, but like, in live action, we don't see him anymore because oh, wow. he was doing other stuff. Like, you're just filming obligations. Gotcha. Like, that he wasn't able to be around for. But, like, that's why the comic, and I, I believe there are a couple novels as well, um, that, like, kind of go more in-depth into, like, that whole thing. I see. Uh, and last thing I got before we move on, uh, this episode originally aired January 22nd, 2012. The title screen for the episode has the... Same woods background, but in there is a person walking away from the camera in a flowing and billowy cloak. And I don't know if this was happening previously, but I did notice that the O in once was actually magnifying the background and distorting it like a magnifying glass. I didn't notice that. That might just be what it is. Also, back on my bullshit with the intro watch, did you see that there was like... I did! There was an intro this time. And, And like... Because we made a whole big deal about it last time, which, yeah, the intro. (laughs) (laughs) The episode proper starts in Storybrooke. Henry's investigating the stranger that appeared at the end of the last episode. Henry, do not talk to strangers. Please, this is, I know no one ever goes in or out of town, but you are not a 30-year-old man. You need to not talk. The strangers, you are a 10-year-old child. He is a 30-year-old man, and he's approaching it with the subtlety that he knows he can muster as a 10-year-old by just asking him straight up, who are you? What are you doing? It's I'm just like, who is this man? Who is this character? Not the stranger. Who is Henry? Like, <laughs> Regina, raise your kid. <laughs> no. she. Henry is her paternal stand-in. Yeah, hey, just a reminder, therapy is great. <laughs> How many times have I said, once upon a time, said, go to therapy? Yeah, a lot. Probably like three. <laughs> but maybe not to Archie. Find an ethical therapist, please. Yeah. The other thing he focuses on is that the guy has a box. What's in the box? What's it do? Who are you? What's the box? What are you doing? Who is it with? We don't know. We have no goddamn idea right now. It's just a box. Yeah. And he goes on a whole monologue later that we'll get to about it. Yeah! Which, we'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, So he was stopped specifically right in front of Regina's house. Like, he says he's just fixing his bike, but like... And also, not just right in front of the house, right in front of the one spot between the hedges where there's a sidewalk leading up to the entrance of the house, that you can see the street. Very that. It's like, dude, what's going on here? He wanted to be seen. I cannot wait 
till you learn more about this man. The other couple notes that I made about this that probably aren't true for many reasons, including like storyline, writing, whatever, is that wouldn't it be fun if this person had absolutely nothing to do with the uh, storybook, uh, storybook, uh, fairy tale, anything, and just Emma's starting to break the curse is letting some complete stranger come to Storybrook. I don't know. That'd be an interesting storyline, wouldn't it be? It would be, but it feels a little early for something like that to be presented and followed up on so much in one episode. Mm-hmm. But like, it's it's a thought. Here's a note for me to get that whole conversation to play later at some point. Oh boy. The other plot of the episode is that there is a storm coming. They call me Storm. And there's a like... big old storm. There's little drips, drops, hints being uh, spoken constantly about it. Mm-hmm. And we see that Mary is running late to get to school. Emma's like, you know, it's fine. It's only 7.10. you got plenty of time. She's like, no, I've got to be there at 7.15. Here's a thought that I had. I don't know what time, like, storybook school starts at. My school in high school absolutely started, like, around 7.15. I don't know if that's normal, but that's what happened with my school. It was, like, it felt early. Like, well, she's like a grade school teacher. Right, so elementary like, school definitely started, I think it was, the way my school did it, it was like an hour after the high school did. So, like, the buses would go, get the high schoolers, then immediately go back on the same route, get the get the grade school kids, and then do that. That sounds right. I want to say my high school started about seven, and then uh, mm-hmm. middle school was probably about the same time, and grade school was after that. Interesting, yeah. Just a thought that I had. I was like... I mean, but yeah, if, if going by my podunk high school's rules, that would make sense if Mary Margaret is a grade school teacher, that her, she would start after 7.15. Right. Although you would think she would want to be there early. I don't I know. Mean, you know. I maybe. mean, she, she, to be fair, she is saying, I overslept, like, I need to, she's rushing for a different reason, but. Maybe Storybrooke actually funds their education. Uh, with Regina? There are theoretically other teachers. We have seen other teachers. We know nothing about them. But they are there. Anyway, she says she has to be at the school at 7.15 to help the kids with their science fair projects. And I make a note, we did it, guys. Only two minutes into the episode. We got the episode title spoken. Yeah. We did it, Joe. <laughs> oh, yeah, we it's did it. It's a new record. Uh, so apparently the scene where she's, like, rushing out of the house, mm-hmm. she was actually brushing her teeth because apparently Jennifer Goodwood has this, like, pet peeve when actors or actresses in a show, like, are like, oh, I'm running late, but they're not actually brushing their teeth. Like, she made sure that she was physically brushing her teeth <laughs> as she was sprinting out of the house. And that's the dedication that we love here on this podcast. Uh, so the meteorologist that's on the, like, the radio or the TV talking about the storm that's coming in, yeah, that meteorologist is voiced by Damon Lindelof, who did Lost with J.J. Abrams. Oh. Yeah, there's, it's kind of like he's one of the executive producers of Once Upon a Time, like, and that was just like their little nod, which I thought was neat. Work. So it's uh, 7.12, 7.15 around then, we see on the big clock as uh, Mary is walking through the town, and it's 7.15 as she is getting into Granny's Diner. Oh no, did she lie about the science fair? Oh she no. She sits down waiting for a coffee, but isn't she supposed to be at school? 
Then David comes in. (sighs) The pieces are falling into place. She lied to her daughter. Slash roommate. Yeah, that's a tangled mess. No, Tangle doesn't happen until later. I was gonna say that. (laughs) So really, like, David comes in and gets two coffees, and they uh, have a little bit of chit-chat. And when he leaves and Mary is staring at him, kissing Catherine, you're just like, oh, this is sad. This is real sad, actually. Also, uh, I noted that Mary is reading The Mysterious Island by Jules Verne. I don't think it has any really, like, thematic relation to anything that goes on here, but I was like, oh, that's interesting. Chul's friend. After David drives away, Emma shows up and calls Mary on her bullshit. After the big climax at the end of episode six, The Shepherd, Mary can't get over David. She wants to magic him out of her head. But this show already has a very specific opinion of magic, so I guess we've already got our theme for today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In the fairy tale woods, Snow White is hunting a turkey with a spear, and then Red Riding Hood scares the bird away by accident. In one of the most gorgeous corsets I've ever seen. Oh, Just yeah. by the way. <laughs> like, uh, I didn't notice is... the corset because her face was pulling all the attention. Well, also, I think this is like. Only the second time we've seen Red in the You're right, the Forest. first time was at the uh, round table. Right, in the pilot. And, like, we didn't really see too much of her. Like, she was there. But, yeah, this is... Uh, maybe we'll find out more about her and Snow White's relationship. Well, she's been bringing Snow apples and breads and cheeses. And notice she did bring apples, not the very red apples. So, more confirmation of where this is on the Snow White storyline. Yep. Because Snow White's been living in isolation away from towns, having been allowed to escape the Huntsman at the end of the Huntsman episode. The other reason that Red is here is to tell Snow White that Prince James is going to marry Midas' daughter in two days' time. And Snow is hung up on him, even here, and wishes there was a way to magic him out of her head. The way these things parallels, life imitates art, imitates life. Her mind. Her mind and her mind again. (laughs) But you know what, Bob? Hmm. There are whispers of a man who can achieve even the most unholy requests. My note was, hmm, who could this man be in all caps? (laughs) Snow White is then on a boat in a fog and it's dark and immediately we confirmed that I was right. Rumpelstiltskin appears as she is uh, tying the boat to the dock. In this magnificent leather vest, by the Mm. way. Rumpelstiltskin is looking a lot less sweaty than he had before, and a lot more, like, intentionally metallically painted. I wonder if it's because the lighting is not, like... It's a cooler lighting rather than, like, more fiery lighting. Maybe. I don't know. But anyway, he's been looking forward to meeting her. She explains her situation. She's got a broken heart because she can't be with her love. Rumpelstiltskin says that's the most powerful magic and needs an extreme cure. So he scoops up some foggy wake lauder in a vial and puts one of her hairs in it to make the potion for her. Seems like a totally great trade. Nothing... you If you give your hair to a magical imp, that's fine. It's we a great trade. We don't know till the end of the conversation that he wants her hair. That's true. But... Come yeah, on, that's, that's uh, mm, maybe maybe a little bit too good of a trade there. So this potion that Rumpelstiltskin made will help Snow White forget that Prince James even exists. Oh, Thus, no. the extreme solution. Rumpelstiltskin also gives a rather nihilistic speech about love being responsible for more death than diseases and war. And all he wants is payment, 
is the remaining hairs that he had already plucked from her head to make the potion. Yeah, that's not going to come back to bite her in the ass at all. it, It could never. Oh, at all. And then as she's leaving, he says goodbye and specifically says her name, which would never been mentioned at any point. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but she does have a little bit of a sus look on her face after that. Yeah, she, I think she does this trade and then she kind of is like immediately like, "Mm, I probably shouldn't have done that. Snow White is nothing but pretty savvy, all things considered. Except this, apparently. It's a rare lapse in judgment because of love. Back in Storybrooke, Mary is doing some sad shopping for herself at a convenience store. You get that candy bar, girl. It's you get like it. It's like the size of her head. So the the candy bars in this episode, they were set to look like the brand from Lost, as like a little reference. Oh. While filming the scene, Jennifer Goodwin really wanted dark chocolate and unwrapped all of them trying to find dark chocolate, but could only find milk chocolate because that's what they used. <laughs> I... <laughs> I, I'm sorry, this is an audio-only format, but I'm speechless. Like, that's so particular. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, so she's doing this shopping, and she literally bumps into Catherine, causing both of them to drop the stuff from their baskets. And what's on the floor? A Pregger's test. Uh-oh! Uh-oh! Uh, I feel so bad for Mary Margaret in this moment. Because <laughs> she's already going through it, and this is the absolute last thing that she would need to see. And then the additional straw that's going to break the camel's back, Regina is right there. Ready, willing, and able to add a very venomous mm-hmm. comment. Also, Regina is in the process of buying a 1960s Fantastic Four comic for Henry. I guess the mayor just does have that money. I guess. So after Catherine uh, gets all of her stuff and walks away, and Regina also noted the pregnancy test, she turns to Snow and she's like, oh, I do hope you'll be discreet. Because, you know, her family is her business. But I guess it's also your business, Regina, because, like, maybe you should take your own advice. This is Regina's one friend. (laughs) Regina love friend. Regina doesn't usually have friend, and Regina love friend. Well, again, back in the fairy tale realm, Prince James, the other brother from the Shepherd, stands forlornly on a balcony overlooking the lake outside of the the castle. I'm not really sure which castle it is. Is it Midas's castle or the Charming Castle? It doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's not it doesn't really matter. It. I do think it is his family's castle. So the Charming Castle. Yes, yeah. King Charming comes in and calls out James for being in love with someone else. As soon as King Charming walks away, though, James writes a letter and sends it to Snow White on the wings of a pigeon. Nope, I was wrong. That's a dove. I just, in the moment, wrote pigeon and forgot to update my notes. So back in the uh, conversation between King Charming and Charming... Um, couple things that I noted. Uh, the king says to him, I want your heart, which is a really loaded phrase in Once Upon a Time, given oh, yeah. what we've already seen. Oh, yeah. He can't do that, but wow, that's, that's just, just laying it on kind of thick. King Charming also says to Charming something about the role you've taken, and it's like, hello, the role that he chose to take. Yeah, that's not choosing. You didn't, that's he didn't choose it. Hello, what the fuck? Black male. Black yeah. male. King Charming is trash. Uh, revealed, actually. This is this is our burn book for him. Burn the 1%. Guillotines. 
etc. Etherich. Thank you. The one place where Rumpelstiltskin and Snow White are on the same page here. And now, at this point, I'm just getting whiplash, because again, we're back to Storybrooke. Mary is taking a walk on a road in the woods when she hears some cooing and finds a bird. At this point, I'm like, is it a pigeon? Is it a dove? What is it? What is it? It's a dove. Immediately find out it's a North Atlantic dove because she brings it to an animal shelter for care. The same shelter that David works at. What a twist! Also, fun fact, this is not a real bird. They fully made this up for the show. I did check. Oh, I should have, but I didn't. (laughs) I was like, sure. Why not? Yeah, Yeah, sure. Yeah. While Mary and David are giving each other non-subtle glances, the vet tells us that the bird is migratory, and we get the metaphor that it'll heal in captivity, but it won't be happy unless it can be with its flock. And we have a time limit, because there's a big storm coming. So the birds are flying away. Mm-hmm. Also, and, and you see in Mary Margaret's face, like, oh, it's me. Oh, no. And then in that moment, I was like, well, I was Mary Margaret me before I started going to therapy. <laughs> this entire cast is anyone before therapy. Yeah, because the only one who's had therapy is Henry. And Henry is actually correct in most of his things, weirdly enough. The through line of Once Upon a Time is nothing but go to fucking therapy. Yeah. Go to fucking therapy, the show. Down on the street level, Emma is packing emergency gear into the sheriff's car to be able to help anyone that needs it during the big storm. Storm. And Regina walks by and tells her to look into the new guy in town. She says there's something strange about him. Something familiar. Emma gets a good joke in, saying, oh, is he one of the ones that you've cursed? Regina's eyes, when she says that, is wide eye heart. What do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah. (laughs) It's it's just, you know, it's it's Henry's book deal. It's it's a joke. Yeah, like, Regina's eyes just fly open, and she is like, excuse me, do you know? Do you know hello? What? Uh Uh-oh. Which, Uh I mean, yes, she does know, but she doesn't take it seriously. (laughs) So, cut to Mary, and she's driving the dove somewhere, and gets a flash to the other fairy tale realm. Because, again, we're just ping-ponging back and forth. So now we're in fairy tale realm. Snow White is staring at the potion that she got from Rumpelstiltskin, when the messenger Dove, not the pigeon, lands on her hand to bring the letter from James. I think it is the same pigeon. Or at least supposed to be. It, yeah. I'm, Which is like... I, I didn't catch that at first, and I, like, rewatched a scene, and I was like, oh, that's it, it kind of reminded me of the stuff with Graham and the Wolf. For the sake of the practicality when filming, I'm sure it's the same oh, one. absolutely. But also, it's convenient, because for the sake of the metaphor and bringing everything forward from fairytale to uh, storybook, mm-hmm. it's probably supposed to represent the same dove. Right. Even it's like- though it's, it's not actually... You know, it's interesting, there's there's kind of a through line in the last few episodes about, like, with uh, the one with Archie, it was like, the crickets are back, and then the wolf was back with Graham, and now this dove is back, and I'm wondering if that has anything to do with uh, the curse being broken. It probably does. So the letter on the messenger dove says, quote, Dearest Snow, I have not heard from you since our meeting, and can only assume you found the happiness you so desired. But I must let you know, not a day goes by that I have not thought of you. In two days' time, I am to be married. Come to me before then. Come to me and show me you feel the same, and we can be together forever. And if you don't, I'll have my answer. Mary's face face is showing pure 
ecstasy. She is really happy about this. You want to hear something cool about this scene? Yes. The filming crew didn't have a script for this part. And Josh Dallas actually wrote a part of this letter that I think was not actually put in the, the actual episode. But that's, like, he was off camera reading that live to Jennifer Goodwin. Oh! Again, the two of them being just too goddamn adorable for their own good. That's so cool. And, like, it also gives, uh, like... It almost feels like a callback of David asking uh, Mary to meet him at the troll, I mean, toll bridge mm-hmm. back in the Shepherd. Yeah. Anyway, back with Mary in the car. She drove out into the woods with the dove as the storm is approaching. She pulls up her hood as she's getting out of the car and cut back to the fairy tale room. Snow White also pulls up her hood with a gorgeous pattern on it. Oh, way. yeah. It's really awful for blending in because it's, like, really flashy and stands out, <laughs> but, like, it's gorgeous. Oh, yeah. So she's here to sneak into the castle to be able to meet up with Prince James. Mm-hmm. She does get in successfully, and she goes into Prince James' rooms, whatever, his antechamber, mm-hmm. and as she walks by, she's about to jump out and talk to him oh. when a guard grabs her. And, like, she doesn't even make noises loud enough that anyone can hear her. And this is just the beginning of the long decline of, like, oh, this is the biggest fucking bummer I've ever seen. Yeah, it only goes downhill from here for the entire rest of the episode. It feels so bad. The guard throws her in jail, and her note is discovered. She tries to be like, oh, I'm an emissary. He pulls it out with two fingers, like, "Uh uh-huh. And we got a grumpy now. Yes, there is someone in the cell next to her. It is Grumpy. After they talk a little bit, we find out he's got a sad backstory involving love. He did something silly and stupid and got to be a sucker for someone else's crime. And then in sneaks someone to break them out. It's stealthy. Um. Yeah, you know, the, that dwarf that we all know. From stealthy. The, yeah, stealthy. 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 But also... Hi, Stealthy. (laughs) Uh, Also, I did notice the parallel of both Snow White and Emma waking up in prison next to Grumpy at some point in the series. I thought that was really neat. You're right. I thought that was a really cool touch. Yeah. Okay. Bob, what do we know about Grumpy and Stealthy? So, Grumpy is played by Lee Ehrenberg. He is from California, and he attended Santa Monica High School with Sean Penn, Robert Downey Jr., and Emilio Estevez, and apparently they all hung out and called themselves the Brat Packs. Which, okay, cool. And uh, Ehrenberg also co-wrote a play with Emilio Estevez that was then directed by Sean Penn. Oh, wow. Which is like, okay, wild. Uh, He has been in a ton of movies and TV. He was in Waterworld, Night Court, Seinfeld, four different Star Trek shows, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. He was in Pushing Daisies, Californication, and most recently, besides Once Upon a Time, American Gods. He was also in the 2000s Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh my god. As the dwarf Elwood Gutworthy. And then he was also in the first three parts of the Caribbean movies as one of, like, he was on Barbosa's crew. He is involved with Jane Nolan Community Services, which helps autistic children and their families in animal rights organizations, uh, and participates regularly in fundraising efforts on behalf of those causes. I'm so glad you still had more to say because I'm still caught up on the... The, the Dungeons & Dragons oh movie. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. That was a moment. Um, also, uh, just a thing that like I noticed that I hadn't picked up on before, his name in Storybrooke is Leroy, which 
in French means of service to the king or to the royal, which in Enchanted Forest, he very much is in service to Prince Charming and Snow White, which I thought was really cool, actually. Is that legit? That, that is legit. I double checked it. That's where it comes from? Yep. That is, and I'm like, damn, that's good. That's really cool. Huh. <laughs> yeah, right? Because he, he's like, I mean, as you see more of him, like, because you're obviously going to see a lot more of the Seven Dwarves. He is kind of like the main, like, confidant guard for them, which I thought was neat. So Grumpy would be the barb in the if the dwarves were a D&D party. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and Stealthy would be... The rogue. Dead. <laughs> Failed all three death saves. <laughs> and then for Stealthy, Stealthy is played by Jeff Gustafson. He was born in British Columbia, and he's been in Supernatural, 2012, Hot Tub Time Machine, Eureka, Psych bunch of stuff um he this one absolutely tickled me he played series regular norman dorman in the hallmark channel show signed sealed delivered about postal detectives and then the subsequent tv movies based on the show i'm sorry norman dorman norman dorman and they solve crimes about letters it's very hallmark channel like it's absolutely a hundred percent very Hallmark. Um, I don't think it's any, I don't think it's like crimes per se. I think because it's Hallmark Channel, they're like connecting the lost letters with the people that they should have gone to kind of thing. It's very sickly sweet Hallmark Channel. Like, but hey, he has made good money off of them because there are so many of these. You have no idea. Mm. They are still making these to this day. Oh. It started with, like, a one-season show, and then Hallmark said, no, we're not going to do scripted TV anymore. We're only doing movies. So they then spun off into a TV movie series. It's wild. I went down a big rabbit hole looking this stuff up. Uh, the series is called Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. It's Okay, that's good. Yeah, it's wild. Um, also, he's been in a bunch of, like, commercials, mainly Canadian commercials, and then he is also an acting teacher currently at the Vancouver Acting School. Also, it's like, from here on out, Grumpy and Snow White best friends five ever. Mm. They're besties. Hey, besties. So, long story short, Stealthy busts them out of the jail cell. Back in Storybrooke, Mary's about to release the dove when she's distracted by some strangely felled trees that are downhill from where she is, and a thunderclap causes her to slip down the hill and over a cliff. Which is just right there. The cliff is just, oh, hey, there's a cliff here. I mean, she would, she, she did it to herself. She just stood there. It's just really, like, out of nowhere. Oh, cliff. There's a cliff. <laughs> a very highly dangerous cliff that is right next to the road. Thankfully, the dove was still in its cage and sitting safely further away from the cliff because Mary was the only one that rolled down. And she rolls, like, down this hill, way off this cliff entirely, and she's, like, holding on for dear life to this root system. And the root is about to give way when, oh my god, a hand comes down to save her. It's David! Mm. Choir of Angels. (laughs) The rain is starting to come down, and he convinces her that they need to go back to town. Back in the mind-slash-prison tunnels in the fairy tale realm, the dwarves have to split from Snow White because she's like, oh no, we're going to go up and out. And they're like, no, we got to go this way. We just came in. We should know better. Mm -hmm. And, And like, they should know better, but I guess... Snow White has someone to meet. She's got main character syndrome, so she's got to be right. Yep. So we follow the two dwarves out into the courtyard where it's supposed to be empty, and it's a trap! Stealthy gets arrowed. By Stealthy. He roll. He lost his saving rolls. Real quick. 
and Grumpy is also about to get beheaded on King Charming's orders. But Snow White shows up and is about to set a pile of hay ablaze, which is going to torch the rest of the castle. She trades herself for Grumpy's freedom. Back in Storybrooke, though, because back forth, back forth, back forth, back forth, back forth, back forth, back forth. Yep. David and Mary are running through the heavy rain and winds and come across a cabin and break in. Yeah, Prince Charming, king of breaking down doors. When they're inside and kind of like warming up, drying off, Mary confesses that she's still feeling for David and how painful it is for her that David chose Catherine. And seeing him is still painful. And that's why she goes to Granny's at 7.15, just to see him. But also, now that she's said that, it's safe for David to say that's also why he goes at 7.15, to see her. These two crazy kids... They're faded lovers. Mm -hmm. And right as they're about to kiss, possibly true love's kiss. But Mary's like, no, 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 no. You chose Catherine and she might be preggers. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Oops. Oopsie. Uh Uh-oh. Cut. Still in Storybrooke, but we need to cut over to Emma because we have a C and D plot to get going on. Oh, Emma in this hat looked just like the little brother from A Christmas Story. Oh, the little blue knit hat. It was so cute. <laughs> like, she's so bundled up. It's adorable, actually. Emma comes inside to Granny's out of the rain, and who should be there but the mysterious new stranger? The camera pans down to his suitcase box to tell us again that we should know it's important. And there's a conversation between the two of them, and she's like, you know... Why are you talking to my son? I mean, Regina's son. His intonation and the way that he's talking back to her gives me a little bit of a Paul Rudd vibe. Yeah, yeah, I do get that vibe. I love when she's like, why are you just talking to my son? You're a stranger. And then he says, well, is that unusual for your son? And it's like, well, I mean, he got her there. (laughs) He's not wrong. For someone who was a bounty hunter and is currently a sheriff, she is shit at interrogation. Yeah, I think she usually doesn't have to do that. She just does the thing. She doesn't have to interrogate, usually. Their conversation shifts and starts to focus on the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the fucking box? First of all, it's a really cool looking box. Second of all, this is absolutely um, a reference to J.J. Abrams' like mystery box thing of writing. They did this in Lost, and they're doing it in Once Upon a Time as well. And this whole uh, mentality... or like mystery box. Yeah, it's like, so you find out a new thing about the box, but then there's more questions that that raises up. And and it's like, this is like very clearly like a nod to their friend J.J. Abrams, and I thought that was cool. Whether or not it's a great way to write a TV show, nope. I don't gotta say here, but that is, I was like, because I did a bunch of research before we started recording, I was like, oh, that's like a whole thing that he did with Lost, but that's exactly the way that the stranger... Um, goes into like explain this box. It is almost verbatim that whole thing, and it's like, yeah, this is a nod to their friend. This speech he gives about the box is fucking wild. <laughs> She's like, I, I just want to know what's in there. And he's like, No, I'm gonna make you wait. J.J. L- Abrams said, <laughs> and this just like considering what we find out about it in like 30 seconds. Okay, that was not worth this build up. <laughs> like, I am sorry. He makes a deal with Emma. I'm going to buy you a drink sometime, and I'll show you what the box is. She's like, yeah, sure, buy me a drink. I'll see what's in the box. So he shows her. It's a fucking typewriter. It's an (laughs) old-time typewriter in a box, which, you know, 
we don't see now, but yes, typewriters used to be kept in these boxes for transport and be able to uh, store them more easily. Also, even more beleaguers the point, this is J.J. Abrams' analog. He is a writer. He has a box that he won't tell you what's in, but you have to wait to find out about what's, what's in the, the box. box. And wait, we're going to have to, because he, after showing her, puts money on the table, gets up and walks away. Yep. Emma's like, wait, what about my drink? And he's like, you're shit at conversation, aren't you? I said I'd buy you a drink sometime. <laughs> so no head? <laughs> she is not entitled. <laughs> Back at the cabin with Mary and David, David had no clue that Catherine was buying the test, and they haven't been trying to have kids, as far as he knows. Don't worry, David, maybe she's cheating. As we find out, no, that's not the case. But, Mm -hmm. like, these are the notes that I'm making in the moment. Right, that's not something that Mary Margaret said. (laughs) That would be wild. I mean, could you imagine, like... He, he's faking putting on airs, and she's like, I can tell you're faking, so I'm just going to cheat on you. Like, wouldn't that just be just desserts for both of them? Yeah. No one comes out great in this storyline. David wants to keep talking and figure out what's going on and clear the air between them. But Mary decides that she needs to focus on that dove, because there is a goddamn time limit, and the storm has lifted. So, you know, the plot has to get moving. Also, charming, if there's anyone from a fairy tale that we know knows their shit about birds, it's snow fucking white. Those are bluebirds. No, 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 it's all birds. And deer. And... Not all birds. <laughs> Blue jay bloods. So she hears cooing of the flock of doves, and she's running after the sound with the caged dove in her hands. So they get to a spot where Mary can see the flock flying away. And she's like, oh, thank goodness they didn't leave. They were waiting for the storm to pass first. Storm, answer me! Not now! And so she pulls the dove out of the cage, throws it up into the sky, and as we're watching it fly away, we see that the dove kind of flirts, floats around with another bird before they rejoin the rest of the flock. Cute. Which, Aww. Yeah, cute. And as they're watching that happen, David reaches down and grabs Mary's hand. And she's like, ah, nah, ah, 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 mm, yeah. I see you. You chose Catherine. It's either her or me. You can't have both. Thank you for setting boundaries. Yes, but also, I thought the show was going to get real progressive and David would be like, hey, polyamory is a thing. <laughs> but it's 2012. Yeah, it's, it's a, a Disney little program. early. It's 2012, a Disney program on public TV. Nah, it's not gonna. Also, I don't think Catherine would go for polyamory at all. I mean, neither one of them. They're both far too possessive. But like, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't that be great? It would be great. David describes the feelings that he's got for both of them as he has memories of the feeling for Catherine, but he has actual feelings for Mary, which is a really interesting perspective to take on all of it, especially given everything that is happening. It almost sounds exactly like the wording of that curse that Regina put on, almost verbatim. Oh my gosh. Back in fairy tale realm, King Charming is talking to Snow White, and he's blaming her for all the feelings that James is having, calling love a disease. For the record, King Charming is a true piece of shit. Oh, yeah, and this is, like, full mask off. Right. He wants Snow White to go to James and tell him that she doesn't love him. And he threatens to kill James if she doesn't. Right, because she's like, oh, what, are you going to kill me? And he's like, no, I'm going to kill him. Yeah, the logic Uh. behind that is that if Snow dies, then James's heart will be tainted and the marriage will just rot and crumble. 
But if James dies, say, at the hand of the, an assassin, then he would die a martyr. The marriage would still be whole, and King Midas would forgive the death, and the kingdoms would be still be merged. He is on some Game of Thrones shit here. Oh, yeah. Which is Boy. so different from everything else in the shows. Like, it's an, he is in another series with this shit. And, like, they're, like, Snow White and Prince Charming are, they're, like, little, like, will they, won't they love? And he's like, no, we're going to kill people, and this is what's going to happen, because we are in the Middle Ages here. He's got blackmail on the brain. Mm-hmm. Snow White's like, but he's your son. And he's like, no, he's not my son. Ooh, yeah, this dropped. Which, like, is true, but I don't think she understands quite the depth of what he means by that. Right. Because, like... She probably thinks he means metaphorically, but no, he's literally (laughs) being quite literal about all this. So given all that, Snow White does go to James's room and he turns around, sees her and he is thrilled, runs up to her, grabs her, hugs her. And he's like, okay, cool. You're here. I'm packed. We can go out this window, down the road, whatever. You know, we're going to fuck all night long. The scene is like absolute murder. Like it's, it is like break up with him in the most brutal possible way. Especially because of how enthusiastic he is. I know. I was like, I I was watching this. I was like, oh no, oh no, fuck, oh no. Let's walk down this road of what happens together. (laughs) So he's about to kiss her, and she's like, no, we can't do this. He's like, no, no, no. I sent the letter. You come. That's your answer. He's like, no, no, no. I'm here. But I need to tell you. He's like, no, but you came and that's how, that's how you, uh, tell me that you love. And he's about to finish that sentence. He barely even finishes it. And she's like, no, I don't. I don't love you. And, and she's giving total like nooch deadpan mm-hmm. face. And she gives a speech about how he has to find someone else to love and hands him back the note. She walks away. And her face is just, like, puffed up. She doesn't need to be composed anymore. Oh, yeah. She is bawling silently inside, trying not to show any of it from behind. And he's just standing there, unable to see her face, with this, like, just confused. I would like financial compensation from this show for making me feel so bad. At this moment, I'm thinking one of two things is going to happen. Either he ignores what she said... Because the logic was, the note said, if you don't love me, don't show. Right. If you do love me, show. So he figures out that something must have happened by the fact that she's here mm-hmm. and, and will still pursue her. Or my other thought is he's still going to pursue her because she tells him, but she writes something on the note say, explaining the situation. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's like where I am mentally figuring out like what, how's this going to get resolved. And once that happens, we get into the last bit of the episode where you just have the rapid succession of scenes to set everything else up. Montage time. Yes. So in Storybrooke, David is getting dressed when he asks Catherine what's up. And he starts asking leading questions, you know, knowing that he knows about the pregnancy test. Turns out she thought she was pregnant. It was negative. She's, you know, just was like, hey, I thought, but I guess not. Mm -hmm. More importantly, though, she says she's glad that she wasn't pregnant because she can see things aren't working right now. They weren't working before David, quote unquote, disappeared. But like 
they're trying to fix this, mm-hmm. and a baby will just make things more complicated which, rather than trying to fix, which is very responsible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not like, yeah, that's uh, pretty legit. David says he does, he wants to fix it too, but she's like, do you? Do you really? Which, like, half-heartedly he does. Like, literally half-heartedly. Uh, and they agreed to go to therapy. Thank you. Someone on this show does therapy. They're going to Archie, though. God damn it. Catherine notices it's 710, and she's like, hey, we should get going if you want to get your coffee. And David breaks the cycle and says, no, not going to go to be there at 715. He made a decision. Which actually shocked me. Because between the two of them, I thought that they would go and Mary would be the one not to show mm-hmm. up. Cut. Next scene. Fairy tale. Bus. Another bus. Tour. Another club. Another club. Another club. Snow White is walking and the castle is way far in the background. Grumpy comes up and sidles up alongside her. And he says, hi-ho. Oh, fuck. <laughs> we have to bring some levity to this really depressing episode. He asks if she's okay. The camera starts panning a little bit out as they're continuing to walk, and we see that all the other seven dwarves are there as well. And this is the shot that we got in the last episode where Regina says, she's hanging out with dwarves now. When did that happen? Yeah. (laughs) Which I still stand by. That's hilarious. Yeah. She's like, when did that happen? I stopped watching her on my magic mirror for one goddamn second, and now she has seven other friends? This bitch. But they're there to be emotionally supportive. Which is, like, really sweet, because she really has... We know she's gone through it, and she is just wearing all of that on her face. Yeah. It is truly, absolutely so brutal, the thing that she just had to do. I'm just like, God damn it! I feel so bad for her. They're gonna try to, like, give her support emotionally, physically, whatever. They're like, come live with us. Don't be by yourself. You're just gonna be in your head. Right. We'll, we'll help you out. We'll live with you. You'll have your space. Whatever. And she pulls out the potion. She's like, you know, I think it'll all be okay. And Grumpy's like, nah, nah, this, no, not cool. You need to live with those memories. Those memories make you who you are. Mm -hmm. Which, like, yeah. Yeah. Go to therapy. Process your emotions and feelings. That. So, Emma and Mary are eating breakfast because, again, rapid scenes back and forth. So, during the scene, did you notice what Emma had on her wrist? No. It was a shoelace from Graham's boot. I didn't notice. Yeah, it was something that her and... uh, I I have a whole note on this. Um, It's a shoelace from Graham's boot, uh, which Morrison said on Twitter... Uh, according to her, a common theme that came up in memoirs that she read by people who were in the foster system was that they held on to small, significant objects that they kept with them uh, from important people from their lives. And Graham was extremely significant to Emma, so Jennifer wanted to find something that her character could keep in memory of him. And the shoelace is something that she and Jamie Dornan came up with together. That's cute. Yeah, and it's. I think she wears it for the rest of the show, which is... Really, really cool. So they are eating breakfast, Emma and Mary, Mm -hmm. and it's 7.15. We see very clearly on the clock, Mary has also decided to break the cycle and not go. Back in fairy tale, James is riding out on his horse to a lone house, calling out to Snow White. Red comes out of nowhere and is like, she's gone. She hasn't been there since she left to go after you. And he says to her, I'll find her. I'll always find her. There it is. Continuing to repeat that theme. Mm-hmm. And then at the dwarf's house, Grumpy bursts in shouting, James left Abigail. He left. He's available. You can go for him. 
and the camera pans over to Snow White with this kind of like dreamy look on her face and she's like who's that and then we see on her nightstand she took the potion to forget him she took what the show was calling the easy way out it's brutal it's very like Romeo and Juliet yep yeah it it's absolutely wrecks you I was like god fucking damn it if it weren't so like emotional it'd be very good comedy of errors yeah yeah Back in Storybrooke, Mary is getting coffee at Granny's when David walks in, sees her, and immediately walks out. But this time, she goes after him. They both went later, it turns out, so as not to see the other one. And they're like, we just keep running into each other. We can't, This is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. David blurts out that Catherine isn't pregnant. And they both lean in. And kiss passionately. And it's like one of those super emotional scenes. Big sweeping shot. Like the camera shot. The yeah. camera is panning around them. They're spinning the other direction to give even more movement to it. And then when they both stop and the camera stops and the focus shifts to the background and Regina <laughs> is sitting there in her car staring at them. It's so good. They were like, oh, look, we get to be dramatic in our kiss. And Regina's like, no, this is mine. (laughs) You will not fuck with me today. And Finn. Oh, yeah, that... It's a good ending. Especially with Regina there, like... Mm -hmm. Oh, it's it's just delectable. Like, ugh. So, the next episode is titled Fruit of the Poisonous Tree. What's your guess for what that one's going to be? I wonder if this is going to be this the the episode where Snow White eats the apple. We know Regina has the apple already. Yeah, the pieces are in place. It's it's post Huntsman. She's with the dwarves. This might be where the apple comes in. Could be. I mean, it's either that or Adam and Eve, but like Yeah, I don't think we are we're going to have the Garden of Gethsemane in here. <laughs> Is that what it was called? I think so. Garden of Eden. I thought Gethsemane was where Jesus died. I was a very bad Catholic. I'm not even a Catholic. (laughs) And welcome to our podcast where we talk about the Bible. (laughs) Join us on Discord so you can tell us how we're wrong. Don't, don't come onto our Discord and yell at us about the Bible, please. Oh, don't worry, I'm cutting this. Nope. Thank you for staying with us. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you can listen on Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts at. Thank you, AJ, for editing our episodes. Say hi, AJ. Our title song is World of Magic by Scott Buckley. You can find this and more music at his website, which is linked in the description. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at NotEvenOnecePod. Links are in the bio. You can follow me on Twitter at TheKidAin'tRight. You can follow me on Twitter at RecycledSarcasm. And you can email us if you have any questions or comments about the show at NotEvenOnecePod at gmail.com. Enjoy your happy ending.